Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right, so today we're going to go back into the series, Are You Saved? Part 11, 12, going once, going to 13. Do I hear 14? 14, 14, going on 15. You guys are like guessing. I don't know what's going on. Let's start this again. All right, so today we're going into part 12. Part 12. We got an even dozen going on here. Part 12. All right, hopefully you guys remember that this whole teaching has been about the relationship between salvation, faith, and works. Okay, just kind of doing a quick reset. Because what we needed to understand is that these things have been taught as separate items and sometimes in adversarial, you know, roles against each other and those kind of things. But they're actually integrated together. Salvation, when you add works to it and you do it with faith, guess what? Or faith to it, which manifests the works. Now you've got what brings the reward. And so we need to understand. So when we talk about the idea, the teaching was called, are you saved? Just to help people get through this idea of this, this, Status thing. Saved is not a status. It's a process. And it's a process that's cyclical. You need to be saved or delivered multiple times. You know, like over and over again, you're going to need to be saved out of things, out of ignorance, probably on an annual or less, even more often than that, you get, oh, wow, I didn't realize I didn't know that. Or wow, I didn't realize I had that wrong. That probably happens, some of you, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, whatever. I mean, you start to realize you're being delivered out of some ignorance which also helps you be delivered out of maybe lifestyles or habits or behaviors and things that you didn't realize maybe were wrong to do. Some of them you knew were wrong to do. You just had trouble breaking from them and separating from them or stopping to do them. And so you got delivered out of them. And okay, I understand that. It's great. But this thing that Christianity has used, this idea of calling someone saved, someone's a saved person, that's where we end up in the challenge because it takes away from the connection between salvation and faith and works. And the idea that salvation is completely free, no argument. It was made available to us by our Messiah at the, at the stake when he died. Actually, it was made available when he was resurrected. Once he overcame death, we had salvation available to us. And that was actually before he even put on flesh because it says he was slain before the foundation of the world. And so that salvation that made, was made available to you was free. Just kind of want to make sure we're clear again and resetting. Free of charge. You did, you did nothing to earn it, deserve it, or anything. However, the book that you have in front of you called the Bible, the Scriptures, talks a lot about a thing called the reward. There's a reward to the righteous. A reward. You get a reward at the end of your life. And there's judgment. And what do you judge? We did this all over and over again, and we're going to do it again today. The idea of being judged according to our works. That's kind of where we were last time we did this teaching, part 11. Dealing with the idea of works and being judged by those works. Which, by the way, if you really think about it, is about as fair as it gets. You should be judged on what you actually do. Or on the things that you didn't do that maybe you should have done. Or maybe the things you didn't do and you shouldn't do, and so you get credit for that. But you're judged according to your works. And by the way, works is both active and inactive. Not doing something is also a work. Because it's a choice. It's a choice to do or not to do. Okay? And so what we saw is that works, or our actions, is another way to describe works, is simply the three-dimensional manifestation of what you believe. 
You do because of how you believe. Or you don't do because of how you believe. It's not really complicated rocket science here. All right? And James, we read James, and we're not going to do that again today, but we read all through James chapter 2 where he's basically finished. His conclusion of the matter was, I will show you my belief by my works. Because that's the whole point, is that works are nothing more than a physical manifestation of what you think and believe. Because you are generally congruent in your action to what you believe. Okay? So it's that simple. Okay. So now that we've said all that, I want to go and continue our idea of, of looking at being judged according to your works. We're going to go to First Peter chapter 1, First Kepha chapter 1. Now, I know some of you like this a lot. Some of you may not. We're going to read... Whole, we're going to read the entire chapter and a good chunk of chapter 2. So we're going to actually cover a lot in one area. I know that some of you like that because we're going to get a very clear understanding of context here. We don't even have to go back any further to get more context because you can't. We're starting in one one. <laughs> so we're going to really understand where Peter's coming from in this letter, where Kepha is coming from, and see how he explains where there's a connection between belief and works. Okay? Chapter 1 and verse 1, First Peter Kepha, an emissary of Yeshua, Messiah, to the chosen, strangers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonia, uh, I mean Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father, set apart by the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua, Messiah, favor and peace be increased to you. Wow, he said a lot just in two verses. Okay, let's start off with that Kepha first starts off by doing what? Telling you his role, his position. He's an emissary. He's an apostle. Okay, so that means that he's a, a one who is set apart and chosen to go out with a message, a sent forth one. And so that gives him a certain amount of authority. So he wants to make sure that those reading this letter know, I'm speaking from this position of authority. Now bear in mind, this is also for those of you who want to go back to the debate and argument or listen to what the nonsense online about, well, we don't have authority anymore, just Elohim himself and the Ruach teaches us everything and blah, blah, blah. No, here's Kepha, personal disciple and student of our Messiah, telling you, you need to listen to what I'm about to say because I have a vertically assigned role that's higher than what you are. And I have something you need to hear and pay attention to. Did we catch that? So he's saying, I am an emissary of Yeshua. That's my rank. That's my role. That's like saying, I'm a sergeant, I'm a colonel, I'm a major, I'm a general, whatever. This is my rank and my role. I am an emissary of Yeshua, and my role is to what? To the chosen. So now, the second piece that we have in the context is that we have Kepha, who's an emissary, and an absolutely personally chosen and set out, uh, sent out one from Messiah Yeshua, is speaking to who is the audience? The chosen. Okay, so he's not just speaking to everybody in the world. And not just any chosen, but the chosen who are strangers of the dispersion in these areas. In other words, the chosen who are in the scattered dispersion. So they are strangers in those lands. They don't belong in those lands. They're not citizens of those lands. They are strangers. They're really citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel, but they're chosen and scattered at the moment. So this is a letter he's writing to those who are chosen and dispersed. He says, listen now, and they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father, set apart by the Spirit unto 
obedience. So let's understand, the point of receiving the Ruach is that it's to help you obey. (laughs) Okay, you weren't set apart by the Ruach to do whatever you wanted. Okay, this is not a, you've been set free to do whatever you want type of thing. That's something that I think also you may get out of the mainstream, is that you're free now. Well, we're free now. Yes, you are. You're freed from one master, the master that leads into sin and death. You're a slave to that which you serve. But now you are free to choose to come under a different master. You're not free to just be self-sovereign. By the way, that's still coming under a master, you And some of you should know yourself well enough that you are not qualified to rule anything. you got to have trouble ruling yourself, let alone ruling any other other, entity or person or anything else. So he says here, you've been chosen and set apart by the Spirit for this purpose, unto obedience, that you would produce and be doing obedience. I hit something on my, okay, there we go. I'm going to put this here. All right, on to obedience. Now he says, In sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua Messiah, favor and peace be increased to you. Now for those of you who have not heard the grace teaching, you know, the search for the doctrine of grace. So maybe you're not sure what grace means. I'm sure in most translations it says, Grace and peace be increased to you. Would that be correct? Okay? So in most, most translations you see the word grace there. So does it make sense that grace is unmerited favor, that he would be saying, chosen according to the foreknowledge, set apart by the Spirit unto obedience, unmerited favor and peace be increased to you. Does that make any sense to anybody? No, of course not. Okay? He's saying merited favor be increased to you and peace to you. Why would he tell you you were chosen, set apart, special, trained, selected, for, before with foreknowledge and everything, And then, may you have unmerited favor. (laughs) Go listen to the teaching if you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, it's 14 parts because we... Is it 14 parts? I think so. Because we covered every single verse where that word appears, where grace appears. All right? Just to make sure we're defining it correctly. And so here's one of those places where if you plug in, as everybody believes, grace is unmerited favor, well, go ahead and plug that in there. Unmerited favor and peace be increased to you. He wants you to increase in unmerited favor. May you merit less stuff. Makes no sense. Okay? So he's talking to the chosen, those that are meriting favor, those who are set apart by the Spirit onto obedience. And he says, verse 3, Blessed be the Elohim and Father of our Master Yeshua Messiah, who according to his great compassion has caused us to be born again to a living expectation through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead. All right, let's stop there. So bear in mind, as always, Peter understands, Kepha understands, the focus is always on the Father. Yeshua has his role between us and the Father. But he said, blessed be the Elohim and Father of Yeshua. By the way, Yeshua spoke exactly the same way. But yet what we also see happening all too much in the mainstream is that everybody's focused everything on Messiah because they're not understanding that he came to point us to the Father. And so there's an obsession with the Son in the way that they have been taught what the Son is all about. And there's, not that they don't teach anything about the Father, but it's at a much diminished way. We agree. It's just incredibly greatly diminished. The focus is all on the Son. Okay? 
And so here, Peter comes right out and he says, Blessed be Elohim and Father of our Master Yeshua, who according to his great compassion has caused us to be born again to a living expectation through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead. So I'm not minimizing Messiah Yeshua's role. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to belittle in any way. There's no words to describe that what we would have nothing if he did not do what he did, what he did and what he's doing. But as he always said, when even when someone called him good, he says, no one's good, not even me. My father's the only one that's good. All right? He did not want, at least when he walked in flesh anyway, he made it clear he did not want that attention. He wanted it all directed at his father. And so I think that we see that here. Peter's continuing that theme. He was a good disciple. He paid good attention when his teacher was teaching him. And, he, and you can see that here as the way he uses those words. But now listen to what it says here. It says, who according to his great compassion caused us to be born again. Okay, there's another one of those sort of Christianese terms that doesn't mean what it actually means. So I'm born again. What does born again mean? Is born again a status? Again, the answer is No. We'll do a teaching, I guess, on this at some point. I know people have asked for it. But born again is not a status. What does it say here? This is a born again to a living expectation. So there was a thought process that was changed. You have a new birth thought process. Okay, was birthed in you was an idea that you were going to have a new living expectation through the resurrection from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. The next verse. So that was now birthed in you. That was born in you. So there was a renewing of your mind. There was a renewing of your life in that you are born into a whole new way of thinking. Like, you know what? When you come out as a baby, everything is new. We've got a lot of little babies now in the congregation. You ever watch them? And they may have all of a sudden they discover their hand. They're like, what's that? You know, and they're looking around at everything like, wow. Guess what? When the book starts opening up to you because he opens your eyes, opens your ears, opens your heart, don't you have that same sort of like, Wow. I've read this book so many times and it's all new. There's been a renewing or a rebirthing of you in that context. And we're told that we are supposed to do these things through the renewing of our minds. And so here we see born again to a living expectation, not born again like into a whole new, like you're a different creature now. You're thinking differently, which means that you're going to be acting differently. And so you're going to end up in a different place. Remember, thoughts with emotions, eventually lead to actions, lead to habits, lead to a destiny. So he says here, the Father, according to his great compassion, has caused us to be born again. How did he do that? He opened our eyes, opened our ears, and opened our hearts. He did that to you so that you were caused to be born again, so to speak. Not the born again that you see Yeshua talking to Nicodemus about. Because that born again, he's, he's talking to Nicodemus about is when we're no longer flesh. He's talking about, he mentions the going back and forth of being like the wind and everything else. Because Nicodemus is like, well, how can we be born again? Do we climb back into our mother's womb again and all that kind of stuff? He says, he says Nicodemus, what's wrong with you? You're a teacher in Israel. You don't know what you're talking about. And we do have an in focus, I think, called messing with Nicodemus or picking on Nicodemus or something like that, Okay. So you can listen to that one. So this is not that type of born again. So just because you see a word used or a phrase used doesn't mean it's locked into only being used in one way. You speak a language, you know that there's lots of phrases, lots of words that you use that depending on how you use it can mean very different things. So here it's talking about being born again or being renewed in your mind and thinking a whole different way. Having a different 
key word here is expectation. Before you had this understanding, you may have expected just to die. Okay? Hey, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. But now you're finding out that there's an expectation through what Messiah Yeshua did that you have now a new thought. Oh, there's an eternal life thing that he provided and a way for me to have that. So that's the born again part of your mind. You had a renewing of your mind. Just like we use the word saved or delivered. Well, that doesn't only happen once necessarily. And it can mean different things depending on how you use it in the phrase, what kind of a sentence you're using it in, right? Okay, so then he continues to make sure we understand what he's talking about with his born again living expectation. Verse 4, we're born again to a living expectation through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in the heavens for you. So there's an an inheritance. I think we talked about this in previous parts, that the inheritance is a reward. Now, what he did made that reward possible. So you were born again to an expectation, not a guarantee, an expectation that now you can have access to this. This expectation of an incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Now, if it's incorruptible and it's undefiled, do you think that you get to have it if you're corruptible and you're you're all defiled and you're a mess? No. It says the bride has made herself ready. And she's unblemished. And she's made the effort to clean herself up. Present herself a righteous bride. He said that this has been kept for you in the heavens who are protected by the power of Elohim through belief. Ah, okay. So the born-again ones who have an expectation of all this stuff are protected by Elohim through belief for a deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time. So the belief factor is key here. Now, if this was all just a matter of making an altar call or just believing in Yeshua that he existed and died and was resurrected or whatever they taught you in the mainstream, why would belief still be a factor? Because belief leads to action. But if action isn't required, why is belief still a factor? Because the action is required. So he says it's through belief for a deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's still a deliverance to be revealed. So, so much for once saved, always saved. You're saved, now it's all done. There's a deliverance to be revealed in the last time. Are we there yet? Nope. We could be close. That's fine. You could argue that all day long if you want. We're still not there yet. So it's to be revealed in the last time. In which you exult even though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by manifold trials. So he's saying you are excited about it. You're exulting in it. But you also understand that you may have to go through some tough times between now and that deliverance. He says, so you may have, you know, you may have to go through these things. You have been grieved by manifold trials in order. Now listen, why are the trials there? <laughs> this is so simple. Just follow it through. In order that the proving, okay, if you're once saved, always saved, what's there to prove? I'm not, I don't think I'm being a wise guy. I'm being, I'm just being serious. If you're once saved, always saved, what is there to prove? Okay, but he says now that these trials, even though you're, this is talking to chosen people that are exalting the expectation, they know what's coming. So what's there to prove? 
in which you exult, right? Even though for a little while you need be, you're going to go through these trials in order that the proving of your belief, much more precious than gold that per, uh, perishes and proven by fire, might be found, listen, to result in. So you still have things to do because what you do basically brings a result, right? Cause and effect, reaping and sowing. So the proving of your belief might be found to result in praise and respect and honor at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. See, without belief and without action, you're not going to do the things that are well-pleasing in their sight, the Father and the Son, and so you're not going to be getting praise, respect, and honor at the revelation. What brings praise? Doing what someone wants you to do. Okay? I mean, the only way you get praise is that somebody appreciated what you did. So who's the somebody? The Father. So the praise we're looking for is doing what pleases the Father. And respect. Are you going to get respect from the Father if you don't do what he said? Not at all. He's going to think you don't respect him. Why would he respect you? Are you going to get any honor? Not if you don't act honorably. So remember, he's saying that this is happening in order that the proving of your belief. Now, he already told you you're chosen. He already said that you've been separated by the Spirit unto obedience. He's already said that uh, you've been born again into a living expectation. But he also said, but even with all that, for a little while, between now and that end time, you may go through a lot of trials. You may go through a bunch of stuff. Some things that are really hard and challenging. He said, just remember, though, there's a reason for it. And he sneaks that word in there, proven by fire. What does fire kind of metaphorically kind of represent? The burning away of that which is unnecessary or takes away from or, or, is, or is bad. The dross. It, it gets rid of the stuff. Like if you take gold and you put it in the fire, there's still stuff mixed in with the gold, impurities and other stuff that gets, becomes the slag that comes out of it and they get rid of it. We have a teaching called Baptism of Fire. Go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it in a while or maybe you never listened to it. Where we talk about the whole point of going through fire to get you to where you need to go. As opposed to the way the Pentecostals teach it, that Baptism of Fire has to do with the way you behave and act and get all exuberant and all that. No, the fire that's being talked about when John says the one who's coming is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking about the fire being this, fiery trials that prove what you're made out of. And cleanse you and purify you through the trial. Because you're either going to fail or you're going to come out cleaner. Your choice. Okay? So you may want to listen to the baptism of fire teaching. So that when you go through all of this, if the fire does its job, then you come out worthy of praise and honor and esteem and, and respect it says, and you might be found in result in praise, respect, and esteem at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah, whom having not seen you love, and whom you exalt with unspeakable and esteemed joy, yet not seeing but believing, obtaining the goal of your belief, a deliverance of lives. So he's talking about that deliverance, that eternal life being what? It is the goal of your belief. If you don't maintain belief, you're not going to get to the goal. That's only logical. I mean, it'd be illogical to think anything else. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, you've been chosen from the beginning. You're chosen to the foreknowledge, by the foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of Elohim, set apart by the Spirit, etc. And I'm going to bookend this to what? To obtaining the goal of your belief, which is 
eternal life, deliverance of your life. And in between, he tells you what you need to do. You're going to need to have the expectation. You're going to need to be born again in the way you think, in the way your mind is. You're going to need to exult in that, but realize that, hey, it's not all going to be roses, no matter what these guys are going to tell you on the TV tomorrow. Oh, just do this, and it's, you know, diamonds are going to fall into your hands. Just put your hands out. They're falling from the sky. Gold dust is just falling everywhere. He says, no, he says, if need be, he says, when, when what you exalt, but if need, if need be, you've been grieved by, oh, wait a minute, if need be. I skipped that. I feel like the rock just told me, stop right there. Wait a minute, what about this need be? Why would you need trials? Because he said here, in which you exalt, right, the deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time in which you exalt, even though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by manifold trials. Hmm. Why would you need those? Because maybe your belief isn't where it needs to be. Maybe your actions aren't where they need to be because your belief's not where it needs to be. And so these are little wake-up calls. By the way, that is completely consistent to all the way back in the Old Testament when the Creator is talking to Moses and saying, by the way, tell these guys that if they don't listen, I will curse them seven times. And if they still don't listen because their belief is not where it needs to be, I will curse them seven times more, etc., etc. The trials are wake-up calls. Look, it says in here the word cause, okay, where he said, I will cause. How will he cause us? Well, by giving us these little wake-up calls, all right, where he's going to have these things happen so that he says, according to his great compassion has caused us to be born again. See, even the born again thing is a choice. He did open your eyes. He did open your ears, but you didn't have to listen. You didn't have to see what was in front of you. You could have chosen to ignore him. And sadly, I'm sure there are people that have. By the way, don't ever sit in the chair trying to figure out who those people are. That's not your job. But I'm sure there are people that have done that. Don't you do that. I'm not talking about judging them. I'm saying don't do that. If he's opened your eyes and opened your ears, see what he shows you and listen. Because if you're going through some trials, it's because there's something you're not listening to or not paying attention to that you need to experience and see so that you can move to the next step, move forward. Go back to the baptism of fire. You know, we talked about baptism of water, baptism of spirit, baptism of fire. The water does what? Washes you clean, like a fresh start. What does the spirit give you? Understanding, insight, discernment. So then you apply those things, and guess what the fire does? It tests to see how much you did of all of that. And after that, guess what you need to do? Go back in the water. Get clean again. Get more wisdom and understanding. Get more of the ruach. Get, <laughs> go through the next, next pop quiz. The trials are just pop quizzes. Some of you think they're final exams. And by the way, you can't cram for these things. It's going to reveal what you really are doing, how you really are thinking, what you're really made out of, where you're really at. That's why they're life experiences. So you have this kind of bookending of, hey, I'm pumping you up. You're chosen, you're special, you're set apart, and all this other stuff. And you're doing all of this to obtain the goal of, of your belief, which is the deliverance of lives, eternal life. But realize it's a race that runs to the end, to when you finish breathing. It's not something that you just kind of go, okay, check, did it, good, thank you, I'll receive my prize. And then you get to still go on and then do whatever you want. 
It doesn't work that way. I'll use an example. I don't know. I just came up with a couple of examples came popped in my head. Anybody has, has ever heard what happens to most people when they win the lottery? Okay. Do they stay rich the rest of their lives? Oh, so they obtained a prize, an incredible prize, millions of dollars, and they should have then just stayed a rich person the rest of their life, shouldn't they? But why didn't they? Because they did not renew their minds and their hearts. They had no idea. See, they had no idea. Let's call it what it is. They had no idea how to be rich. They didn't know what to do with it. How many athletes, their lives get ruined because they, they come right out of the, the, the slums or wherever they come out of the real poor neighborhoods and they go through college and everything else and all of a sudden they get drafted by a sports team and they're handed $10 million and $20 million and they have no idea what to do with it. They're not trained and prepared. You have to go through life, trials and experiences to prepare you for eternal life because what... what <laughs> Let's, be, let's, let's just call it what it is. The Father is not going to have rebellion and nonsense in the kingdom. He has to make sure you've gone through what you need to go through to get rid of all that stuff. I mean, can we be, call it what it is? But if he gave it to you right now, you'd be living forever with all your nonsense. I don't, I, look, if you want to live in that space with everybody with eternal life where they are right now, that sounds like hell, not heaven. Because we already, we're already doing that. Why do we want to do that forever? Okay? I know all of us would love to live with each other forever. But a lot of us couldn't deal with each other for a week. We're not ready. We've got stuff that's got to go. And that's what he uses the trials and all of this, this process of water, spirit, and fire to push us through so that we become ready. But we're not ready. And part of the reason we're not ready is because we've been told for almost 2,000 years that we've arrived. There's nothing to do. You're saved. And we use these phrases that we shouldn't be using because they don't mean what we think they mean. It drives me a little crazy, but, and, I, and I know I need to get over that too. You know, when people come up to me and say, well, you know, my friend so-and-so, you know, well, well she's a believer. Well, what does that mean? Well, she's a Baptist, she's a Pentecostal, she's an Adventist, she's a whatever. I mean, that's what she believes. Okay, so, but does that mean that she believes like I believe? Or he? And let's say, oh, my friend, you know, my friend, well, I want to, you know, I want to tell you about my friend, I want us to pray for him. Well, and by the way, you know, because like it makes it better to tell me he's a believer. I'll pray for a person just because they're a person. You don't have to impress me with telling me they're a believer. Okay? But we use that phrase because that's the way we were raised. We were raised to use that phrase because it means they believe in Messiah. But if they believe in Messiah the way I do or the way mainstream Christians do, we're not believing in Messiah the same way. The Messiah we believe in is not the same. It doesn't look the same, doesn't act the same, doesn't stand for the same things. And so why are we using that phrase? Because some of you still do it. Well, you know my friend so-and-so, well, they're a believer. And by the way, even if they're Torah observer and everything else, stop calling them a believer. You only know a little bit about what they believe, the little bit that you watch them in their lives that you see them do. What about all the stuff you don't see them do? Ever, you ever see those news reports where the psycho, sociopath, blah, 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 and they interview the neighbors? Oh, I had no idea. The person was as nice as could be. See, there's so much that's like the iceberg. You only see a small percentage of it. Don't think you know people because you only know what you see in public for a few minutes. Oh, <laughs> do not think you know. Oh, well, I know so-and-so. Really? How much do you spend time with them 
when you can see them when they're really being them. You got to really spend a lot of time. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you did this brilliant thing. You got married. (laughs) Guess what you found out? The person you got married to wasn't exactly what they thought they were. Everybody goes through that. Sometimes you find out things that are better. Sometimes they're not so better. But there's things that you find out that you had no idea. Why? Because you can't find it out dating. You just can't. Not until you spend 24-7, you know, eating, sleeping, belching, farting, the whole nine yards. <laughs> Seeing what each other looks like first thing in the morning. You know, some of you never leave the house without your face on. Guess what? You get married, they get to see you without that on there. That's a whole different deal. Okay? I mean, my hair is nicely kind of pushed back like it is now. In the morning, it's, you know... <laughs> Okay? Especially if it still had the gel in it from the night before and it just pressed and... Of course, I always tell people, look, it, don't get... They took eight hours to get it this way, you know. It's not easy. <laughs> I got that from my brother-in-law. I can't take credit for that, but it's a good line. Because we'll we, somebody would look at him and go, look at your hair. He says, yeah, hey, listen, you think that was easy? It took eight hours. Okay. You got to lay just right to make it do this. Okay, But this is what we're talking about here. All that is hidden will be revealed. He's got to get all that stuff out. I'm telling you right now, the last thing that we would all want is for Yeshua to show up right now and give everybody you know eternal life just the way we are. Okay, that would not be good for anybody. Because then there would be no need to change. Because you already got it. Now you really have been saved. Now you really have arrived. You got eternal life. That's it. He wants to make sure before he gives you that, that he's dealt with what needs to be dealt with. And what needs to be purged gets purged. So he gives you these trials and the proven by fire deal. And so we got to just understand that we've been, look, we've been lied to, we've been inheriting those lies, and we've been misled, and we've been programmed, and we've been sold the bill of goods week after week after week till we don't even know, you know, to even check it. We just... It's unbelievable. There's stuff that people claim is in the Bible isn't even there. You know? We had a little little girl. She was in first grade, and it was part of our congregation. Her mother told me that she had a problem at school. This is years and years ago. And she said because the older girls were teasing her, saying that Lisa doesn't believe in, in, the, in the Bible because she doesn't keep Christmas. Well, Christmas isn't in the Bible. Where do you ever see anybody celebrate Christmas in the Bible? But see, this is the thing. Your average person probably doesn't even know that. Just like they don't even know their Messiah is Jewish. That shocks some people, actually, when you tell them that. Somehow, even though they've read it, it's not registering. Okay? And so here we have all this stuff that's being programmed and indoctrinated into us. It is so hard to to push through, which is why you automatically say things like, oh, you know, my friend so-and-so, well, they're a believer. Well, first of all, why would that make any difference to me? And second of all, what does that mean anyway? Do you even know what they believe? No, you don't. What you're telling me is that you know them from church and they claim to believe in the Messiah. That's what you... You don't know what they believe. Anybody see some people in the churches you've been to or the Messianic? Anywhere you've been. Anybody know some people that claim to be one thing and then you find out that they're doing all kinds of things? You did scary stuff. Okay? 
So be careful when you think you know somebody. The weed and the tares are sitting right next to each other in this room right now. That's what he tells us. But not a one of you probably is looking around thinking anybody in here is a tear. At least you probably shouldn't be. I mean, if you're thinking, oh, I know who's a tear, it's probably you. (laughs) Be careful. All right? And so just keep that in mind as we're going through this. He's saying, look, you were chosen. There was a plan. You were given the Spirit unto obedience. You, You know that Messiah is coming. You know about eternal life. You have this expectation. The trials are there to test and prove your belief as to whether or not you're actually ready for all that that's being offered to you. What will you do with it? Well, you're going to walk in a certain level of character or lack thereof at that point. So he wants to make sure what you're going to do with it when he gives it to you. Because I don't think he's going to have any of the nonsense. And that's why he lets us die. He gives you flesh because, see, the flesh can die and then the nonsense can can die with all that. Okay? Korach, you want to behave like that? That's fine. Open up the ground. We'll get rid of you. I don't need to spend forever with anybody with that attitude. That's the way he's, that's the way he feels. So let's keep that in mind. Where are we? All right. So he says, verse 10, concerning this deliverance, the prophets have sought out and searched out, prophesying concerning the favor for you, searching to know what or what sort of time the spirit which was in them was pointing out concerning Messiah when it was bearing witness beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the esteems that would follow. So it's, again, two verses with a lot in there. Okay? So concerning this deliverance, the eternal life deliverance that was made available to us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah, right? Because he said, the living expectation through the resurrection, that was verse 3. So here he says, concerning this deliverance, the prophets had sought out and searched out and prophesied concerning that it would be in the people towards the end that would actually understand all this. So they were prophesying. They were speaking the word of Yahweh with authority, searching to know what or what sort of time the spirit which was in them was pointing out. They had the spirit. I know we get a big problem with this with some people. They were spirit-filled, whatever you think that means. It's another Christianese term. Okay, They were filled with that ruach, and that's where they were given the knowledge and insight to speak the word of Yahweh with authority called prophesying. All right? He says, And that spirit which was in them was pointing out concerning Messiah when it was bearing witness beforehand that he would suffer and the honor that would follow, the glory that would follow. To whom it was revealed that they were not... Listen now. To whom it was revealed that they were serving not themselves, but you in these matters, which now have been announced to you through those who brought the good news to you. In other words, they were saying, this is going to happen sometime in the future. And now you, you're born after it happened. You know what's, what they were talking about. So they were serving not themselves, because this wasn't going to happen in their time. He said, but us which now have been announced to you through those who brought the good news to you by the set-apart spirit sent from heaven into which messengers long to look into. And by the way, what is the good news? The good news is not limited to, well, there's a Messiah and he died and was resurrected for you. And by the way, he didn't die and was resurrected for you. He did this for himself because it was their plan and you're, you exist because they want you to, the Father and the Son. This is for them. 
If they didn't want us, you wouldn't be here. So they're doing for you because it's for them. Because it's all about them, not about us. They want to have beings like us to spend forever with. Okay, so it's not for you, it's for them. I understand, so the good news is to teach you that this whole plan, by the way, the good news is that all this stuff that started in Genesis 1 till now is all about this. It's all pointing to this to make available this plan to ultimately be this forever existence. The good news also includes those of you in the dispersion, there will be a regathering. And you will be brought back into the fold, into the place with one king, King Yeshua on the throne. He says, therefore, now listen to how we get to verse 13. Therefore, you know what therefore means? It means because of everything I just said. <laughs> right? That's what the person is saying is, I, everything I just said is for this reason. Therefore, in other words, because of all of this stuff, having girded up the loins of your mind... We talked about it earlier, about the renewing of the mind, the living expectation that changed we born-again mind. He says, therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, set your expectation perfectly upon the favor that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Now, again, in most translations, does anybody have anything like older translation that might have the word there? Is that grace also in your translations? Okay? King James has grace. Okay? So think of it now. Therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, set your expectation perfectly upon the unmerited favor that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Does that not sound ridiculous? But when it just says favor, yes, the merited favor. You know, you see this over and over again in the Old Testament, especially even like when Jacob says to Esau, if I've done anything that has earned favor in your sight, please don't kill me. You see, Moses saying the same thing. If I've done everything, but the opposite, he says, if I've anything that's done favor in your eyes, please kill me. But it's the same idea. If I've done anything that pleases you, please give me what I'm asking. So we, we are setting our expectation perfectly upon that merited favor that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Yeshua. That's why we girded up the loins of our mind and acted soberly. Soberly meaning that we're consciously aware all of our faculties are functioning and we're making choices as opposed to drunkenly where we're not thinking about anything and we're just so filled with emotion that we're just running off on all directions. We're just being ruled by our desires. I would use the word lust, but everybody thinks sex when I say lust. I don't want you just to limit it to that. Desires, whatever it is you desire. It could be a desire for anything. But when you're over, when you're drunk on your desires, you're not thinking soberly. That desire could be for anything. It could be for power. It could be to play and goof off and have fun. It could be for whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be lit. So I don't like the word lust simply because, again, it's become like a word that we can't really use. Because almost always when you hear the word lust, you think sex. That's only one of the many things that you could desire the word lust being translated as desire is, I think, a better way for us to use a word that won't confuse us. Okay, but you can become drunk with desire for anything, whatever it is. And then you're not thinking soberly because your desire, your craving, the things that you want. By the way, you can get drunk with desire, which makes you break commandments because you want. I know somebody that because it was Sabbath and someone gave him free tickets to go to a Vols football game. 
they, they, they were drunk with desire to go to that game and they went and didn't keep the Sabbath because they wanted to go so bad. See, they were drunk with desire. So they weren't thinking clearly, right? Drunkenness hampers your ability to think clearly. Can we agree? So when you're drunk with anything, like a desire, you're not thinking straight. So you're girding up the loins of your mind. That means binding it up and tying it up so it doesn't just go in every direction and spill over in all kinds of places. And then you're going to be sober. You're going to think clearly and then set your expectation expectation perfectly upon the merited favor that's to be brought to you. Because how did you merit it? Because you were thinking straight and then your beliefs were right and your actions manifested from that were right. And it took you in a direction of the destiny called the expectation at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. That's the destiny. Now listen, in case we're not clear, listen to the rest of it. We're doing this as, verse 14, as obedient children. So in case anybody was confused that this is talking about works, yes, it is. It's talking about obedience. It's not just talking about some sort of state of mind that was magically, you know, Yahweh waved his magic hand at you and then your mind changed. You are now to be obedient. Because you're sober-minded, you've girded up the loins of your mind, you've been born again in your thinking, through the renewing of your mind. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua Messiah, Philippians 2.5. And continuing, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former desires in your ignorance. See, because we tend to conform ourselves to what we desire. We, we choose our actions and our direction of our life based on what we desire. But do you desire that which is above more than that which is below? Where's your desire? Where's your heart? Where's your mind focused? What do you want? See, we're told to love our Elohim with all our desire, all our heart, mind, strength, spirit, etc. You can't do that if you desire other things more than you desire him. You got to be sober minded, but we're not. We're drunk with desire. Some of us struggle with our weight. We're drunk with desire for certain foods that we know we shouldn't eat. Some of us struggle with all kinds of bad things, you know, whether it's stuff that we're putting in our body or things that we're just doing. Some of us get drunken with, you know, movies or some of us get drunken with politics. So what do we do? We spend all of our time focused on that instead of on other things. Some of us get drunken. You see what I'm saying? It could be anything. Where do you spend, you know what, where your actions are, so is your heart. Let's go backwards at it. You know, where your heart is, so is. Well, how about to go backwards? What do you spend most of your time doing? And when you're doing, because some of you say, well, most of my time I spend working. Okay, well, while you're working, where is your heart and your head? Where, do, where are you rather being? Are you rather being, you know, I want you to picture, how many of you see, have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, my favorite scene in the movie is the look on Tevye's face singing If I Were a Rich Man when he's sitting down talking about how he could study the Torah seven hours every day. That look of pure joy. That's his desire. I'm almost crying thinking about it. Okay? If we could have that joy. That, I'm just thinking how he's just... It wasn't like if I was a rich man, yeah, I'd have a house with a big staircase going up and another one going this way. Yeah, he said all of that too. But he didn't have that look. Until he said, I could sit and study the Holy Word seven hours every day. 
Where's your heart? Like, do you want to know? Look at what you do all day. Look at what, when you're doing what you're doing, look at what you'd rather be doing all day. So if you're doing something all day, thinking, man, I wish I was over here doing this, that's where your heart is. How much are you, how much are you desiring to listen to teachings, take out the word, to study the word, to listen to what you need to do, to focus on him? Because I know some people say, yeah, I know I'm behind on the teachings and I never make time and I don't do, well, that's okay. That's where your heart's at. Not my problem. It's your problem. Where do you make time? You know? And even some of you, you want to know where your heart's at? You do listen to teachings. You go online looking for anything that's going to tickle your ear that's, that's going to say what you want to hear. That's also part of the desire problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rabbi, you know, I listen to teachings all day. Which ones? Whose teachings are you listening to? Are you picking and choosing just the ones that you know are going to say what you want to hear? Or are you looking for the ones that are going to grow you, challenge you, and wake you up and smack you in the toes? What are you looking for? Where's your heart? He says, we're supposed to be doing this as obedient children, not conforming ourselves. All right, what does conforming yourself look like? Making your actions, behaviors, and thought processes be in line with something. That's conforming. You're lining up. You're congruently lining up thought and action in a certain direction. He says, so you're not conforming yourselves to the former lusts and desires in your ignorance because you did them back in your ignorance. We've read this in Ephesians and Colossians and places where it talks about how you're not going to be walking in the delusion of your former life and your former mind and way of seeing things. But rather, we're going to be doing this no longer in ignorance, but we're going to be choosing as obedient, chosen, set apart spirit unto obedience, all this other stuff. We're going to be choosing to align ourselves congruently with what? Messiah Yeshua. Choosing to align ourselves with him. He said, not doing this in the form of lust of your ignorance. Instead, verse 15, as the one who called you is set apart, so you also should become set apart in all behavior because it has been written, be set apart for I am set apart. Now remember what set apart means here. It's the word kadosh. Kadosh means to be set apart for the single purpose of being pleasing in his sight, being useful to him, being used in the way he intended. So if this was a set-apart phone, it's not. But let's say, with, like what we talk about in the tabernacle, you had the set-apart uh, table for the showbread, you had a set-apart candlestick, right, the menorah. These things were, had only one purpose, to be what he, what he wanted them to be. Guess what? We're supposed to be a set-apart nation, a set-apart people, set-apart individually. For what purpose? His purpose. That's the whole point. So listen to this. He says, you're to be set apart, verse 17, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, now listen, here it is, according to each one's work, pass the time of your sojourning in fear, knowing that you were redeemed from your futile way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with what is corruptible, silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Messiah as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but manifested in these last times for your sakes. That's it right there. We started in verse 1. The emissary, trained personally by Messiah, with authority, has told us, as, as I'm assuming you're one of the chosen, in the dispersion. If not, this letter isn't for you. But if you understand yourself to be chosen, set apart unto obedience by the Ruach, 
sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua, that you are looking forward to a living expectation because you're born again to a living expectation. Your mind has changed. Your thought process changed through the expectation, through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua from the dead, that you understand the inheritance that we're looking forward to, the incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, that we understand that, our, that there's going to be a trial or a proving of our belief. All of this is because we know that the Father, without partiality, judges everyone according to what we do. How do you get around that? Oh, but I'm once saved, always saved. If that's the case, then this verse is not, not, not only not necessary, it's wrong. If once saved is always saved, what's it a judge? You're saved, you're done, you're in. There's nothing to do on judgment day. What do mainstream Christians, I want to know this, what do mainstream Christians think you're being judged for on judgment day if you're saved? I'm not, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm, just, I'm really curious. I've never been one, so I don't know. What do they teach? Does anybody know? If you're saved, what is he judging? Which, which nicer hill the house you get is on? I mean, what is he judging? I, I'm, I don't understand. He says, look, you need to know and pass the time jur- sojourning in fear, knowing that you redeemed from that feudal way of life. Feudal way of thinking. You were redeemed out of that. You weren't redeemed to now do whatever you want or keep doing what you were doing. You were redeemed to stop doing what you were doing and start doing what he does. You were redeemed out of that feudal way of life inherited from your fathers, not with what is corruptible, etc., but with the precious blood of Yeshua. I don't know what more do we need to understand. He was manifested in these last times for our sakes, who through him, listen, through him believe in Elohim, who raised him from the dead and gave him honor and esteem so that your belief and expectation are in Elohim. Listen to what this is talking about. Now, verse 22. Now that you have cleansed your lives in obeying the truth through the spirit to unfeigned brotherly love, love one another fervently with a clean heart. He's saying, now, this is not like you've arrived. He said, if you're doing everything I just said, you should be with cleansed lives and obeying the truth. And if you are, then he says, look, then you should also be showing unfeigned brotherly love by loving one another another fervently with a clean heart. Having been born again, listen, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Now, we talk about seed here. Is he talking about a physical seed? Or is he talking about a thought, an idea, a thought process? So you've been born again, not with uncorru- by corruptible. Corruptible is what? Verse 18, your feudal way of life inherited from your fathers. See, that was the wrong seed. So that was the corruptible seed. He said, but the incorruptible seed. And in case you think I'm making this up, what's the rest of the verse say? Through the living word of Elohim, which remains forever. That's the seed. So again, you're not physically born again. What's been born in you is a renewing of your mind because you're taking the seed that's in there that's taking root and spreading throughout your, your thought processes and then, of course, leading to your actions is now taking that corrupted seed out that was inherited, that feudal way of life from our fathers, and putting this incorruptible seed in, which is called the living word of Elohim, which remains forever. We're following this? Okay? He says, because all flesh is as grass, and all the esteem of man is the flower of the grass, 
The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word, in case you're wondering what that seed is again, he's emphasizing it again, the word of Elohim remains forever, and this is the word announced to you as the good news to you. So, the good news is not just Yeshua died and was resurrected. The good news is that everything that was given all the way back to Moses, all the way back to the garden, every bit that came out of Elohim's mouth is relevant and works and is incorruptible and forever. That's the good news. The good news is that it's true and it works in case you were wondering. Because guess what? The chosen were mostly Jews at this time. Okay? Those are Jews that knew all this stuff, but for whatever reason, didn't buy into it fully. They were not believing it, so they weren't walking it. He said the good news is that it does work, and it is true, and Messiah dying and resurrecting, which was prophesied by the prophets, proves it's true. The good news is you need to go back and do it, and it works. It leads to what you've always wanted. But you were doing things in a futile way. You were doing, you know what? You ever go and do something over and over again and you keep doing it and insisting to keep doing it your way, even though maybe your spouse or someone's telling you it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But no, no, you're convinced that your way is going to work and it doesn't. That's futile. You can keep doing it all you want. It's never going to work. And so that was a futile way of life. He's saying, look, the good news is that this way does work every time for everyone. This way works Every time, all the time, for everyone. If (laughs) you do it. If you believe and you take action. If you allow the renewing of your mind. If you allow yourself to be born again in your thought process. If you allow that seed to take root in you. It goes back to the parable of the sower of the seed, right? What are we told in that parable? The seed is what? The word of Elohim. It's the same thing right here. Wait a minute, Peter was there when Yeshua said that. I wonder where he got that from. He knows the parable of the sower of the seed. And he says that the seed is the living word of Elohim. So did Yeshua. He said the same thing. Are you listening? That's another teaching you might want to go back to. From last Feast of Trumpets, are you listening? Which reminds me, I've got to figure out what I'm going to teach this Feast of Trumpets. Maybe I'll just do that one again. I still think people aren't listening. They're struggling with listening. You might want to listen to that one once a month. Just as a, it's only one part. There aren't too many of those left. <laughs> you know, listen to it once a month. Some of you are all excited about the fact that you're through the heart of the matter more than once. I'd rather you listen to Are You Listening more than once. Until at least you start listening. Not to me, to him. That teaching isn't about listening to me. It's about listening to him. And are you listening? I mean, that's really where it comes down to. I wonder if I'm going to be able to get this finished here. I think I probably can. All right, we're going to chapter 2. Having put aside then all evil, all deceit. So you notice the, the way this wording is? He talks about because you're embracing something, you're releasing something. You're letting go of something. You're putting aside something and you're taking something in. Both are active ideas. You are actively embracing or actively putting aside. So here he says, having put aside then, starts up here in the head with the thought process, evil, deceit, hypocrisy, envyings, and all evil words. Let's understand what evil is. Anything that goes against the way Yahweh intended it. 
Okay? Anything you do that goes against the way he intended you to do, anything that's used against the way he intended it to be used, that's evil. That's his definition, not mine. Deceit? Oh, we got a lot of deceit. Mostly, you're deceiving who? Yourself. Self-deceit. And that goes into the next word, hypocrisy. Okay, most deceit is actually hypocrisy. Hypocrisy essentially is self-deceit. You're trying to convince other people that you're one way, but inside you're really another way. Okay, your claims don't match your actions. Okay, envyings. Okay, envyings is what leads to all the breaking of the commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's why number ten is basically envy. You covet, that's why you do all the other things that you shouldn't do. If you, didn't, if you got rid of the envying, you'd probably break a whole lot less commandments because it's the root cause of all of your breakings. You commit adultery because you want. You steal because you want. You kill because you want. You desire, you crave, you envy. I want it. All right? Now, you're doing these things. Now, he says, look, this is a beginning process. You have you put this stuff aside, verse 2, as newborn babes. Okay, so he's saying, look, having done all of this stuff, now you're a newborn babe. So what's born again look like? You starting from scratch in your head. In other words, cleaning house. I don't want to talk about brainwashing, but the brain needs a good washing. Okay? Take a giant fire hose and blast all that junk out the other side. Okay? I only say that because a guy once said to me, he said, Rabbi, listen to you. It's like, listen to a, I was trying to drink water out of a fire hose. And I was real young at the time when he said that. And as many years ago, I was thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. Then I realized, no, if you try to drink out a fire hose, it blasts your face off. So I said, well, maybe that's not so cool. <laughs> Blow your head right off trying to drink out of a fire hose. But you need to blast all that junk out of your head. Because if it's not in your head, it's not going to be in your heart. It's not going to be in your actions. It's going to take you not to that wrong destiny. You're not going to go in that path. But as newborn babes desire the unadulterated milk of the word in order that you grow by it, if indeed you have been, if you've indeed tasted that the master is good. Okay, hopefully I can squeeze this all in here. All right. I don't think we're going to get any further than this, but I'm going to finish right here. A couple of things real quickly. Number one, if you're newborn, then you're going to desire the unadulterated milk. Guess what you're getting most of the time for most people? Adulterated milk. So you need to first pray for discernment that you can get unadulterated milk. Most of the body has been getting, or those clinging, those claiming, thinking they're believers and all this other stuff, they've been getting terribly adulterated milk for most of the last 2,000 years and even going back. Because you go back and you still see uh, you know, Yahweh saying things like, your prophets have done this and your prophets have done that. They've adulterated the milk. So it's nothing new. Read Ezekiel 22. He says, you know, there's a conspiracy of her prophets. He's not talking about mainstream Christians today or any other sect. He's talking about the Jews back then. The Israelites back then, he said, their prophets have adulterated the milk. So it's nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning of time. So you want to desire the unadulterated milk of the word in order that you grow by it. Now, it's if indeed you have tasted that's the word we're going to finish with here. If you have tasted that the master is good. How do you do that? It's not complicated. You do what he said and see what happens. And when you see that it's good, now you've tasted and you see that he's good. When you started keeping Shabbat, many of you experienced a strange experience because you didn't expect just keeping a different day from Sunday to Saturday would feel that different. But it does. And you taste of it. 
Also, the fact that you kept it all day instead of for an hour. That, you know, some of you went to places that was shorter than that. So you taste of it. So how do you taste of it? By doing. That's how you know. Some of you are afraid to tithe. Well, because you won't taste of it. How do you know he won't give you more and do this and that and the other thing? Or some of you are afraid to stand up at your job about Shabbat. Well, why? You're afraid he can't give you a better job? I mean, where, when are you going to actually step out in faith? So you guys all want to claim that you're believers and you have faith and you have belief. Prove it. Prove it. Because you call me up and you're all whiny about this and that. And I, and I have to say to a lot of you, are you asking me the question you're asking me because you don't know the answer or because you don't like the answer? Because a lot of times they're calling me about, well, I had this situation come up and it's on Shabbat, but they need me to... You know the answer. Why are you asking me? You really think I'm going to tell you it's okay to do that? But oh, you want to make me the bad guy. So that's why I flip it back around and I say, you know the answer, so why are you asking me? Because I'm pretty sure normally the people who are asking me, they, they know, but they're asking because they're hoping that somehow I'm going to give them the, the leadership permission to do something they shouldn't do. I'm not going to do it. A lot of you have tried and you know. I'm not going to do it. It's too bad. It's your problem. Deal with it. Show faith. Taste of the master. Allow him to show you the deliverance that when you stand still and believe and trust in him, he can deliver. But that doesn't happen. Look, the miracle of the parting of the sea would be very unimpressive if it split and nobody was there to walk through it. Wouldn't be very impressive at all. They had to go out of Egypt and get there. They had to do something. Then they had to actually walk through it. If it had just parted and they stood there, that wouldn't have been that impressive either. They actually walked through on dry land. You have to do, there's the key word, do your part. You have to do the doing. That's the tasting. So here Kepha is telling us, look, you must taste. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the master is good. And so there's your process. By drawing near to him a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by Elohim and precious. You also as living stones are being built up as spiritual house, etc. I'm going to stop here because we're about to run out of time. We'll have to pick up. i got a couple more verses here in, in chapter 2 and then we'll continue. But let's get this. Let's understand this. Peter lays it out as simple, I guess, as anybody can. Especially after reading James chapter 2. It can't get any easier and simpler than this. The only reason it isn't is because we've inherited lies. He gave us strong delusion. We've been well marketed to and brainwashed and indoctrinated and all of that. We've all been well churched. All right. Time to clean up that, you know, purge out everything out of your mind. By the renewing of that mind, let that mind of Yeshua be in there. But you've got to put aside all that other junk, which means that when you come up to a teacher like myself, whoever it is that you're working with, you've got to stop arguing because you're defending that stuff you don't want to put aside. Okay? Now, some of you have heard me say, knock it off and cut it out, and you've listened and you've gotten good results because you listen. Others of you still are struggling because you will not listen. I remember one of the people who was in our congregation years ago, not here anymore, but they'll know who they are if they were here, I guess, who constantly wouldn't listen to leadership, constantly over and over and over. And then on Facebook would be whining like, I don't understand. My life just seems to be terrible and nothing seems to go right and all these things are falling apart. I don't know. You think maybe because you don't listen? Why do you think it is? He's trying to get your attention. And my wife and I and the other leaders have going, of course it is. Person isn't listening. <laughs> what do you expect? 
It's really, and it's frustrating for us because all we want to do is help. You know? Father, we come before you. And Father, we just want to truly be as Kiefer described. We want to be able to take what you've said here and be those chosen that accept and embrace the good news of the word, the word that you have given that's a precious more than gold and silver, the word which remains forever. Apply it in our lives. Become those newborn babes. Clean out all of the stuff and put it aside out of our heads and draw near to the living stone and embrace the unadulterated milk of the word by finding teachers that actually teach the unadulterated word in order that we can grow. So, Father, we thank you so that we may no longer be walking in this futile way of life inherited by our fathers, but to walk forward in a way that actually brings life and leads to the goal, the deliverance of life. Father, we, we are struggling against years of indoctrination, years of wrong teaching and wrong understanding. Help us to be open to hear truth when we find it. Not just listen to anybody and everybody. To lead us to those few that you've put out there as in the fivefold ministry that Paul talks about, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, and the shepherds that are there to help us, to grow us into the perfect body, for the perfection of the saints is what you said through Paul that these people are there to help perfect us. Help us find them and get in line with them and work with them so that we can then be more ready to receive the unadulterated word, the living word that then will change our lives and transform us and conform us into the image of Yeshua, our Messiah, your son, Father. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask that you would be in in your mercy and compassion, that you would hear our prayer and give us that which we need, that we need from you, with the encouragement that we would do what we need to do, that we do not desire that you do it for us, but you strengthen us in it and encourage us in it. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you all glory and all honor in the name above all names, Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit MTOI.org.